0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today um, is, uh, I think, the best songwriter in the world under 60, and uh, someone I first met in August of 2013, and uh, his new album, Reunions, is out this Friday. I have had the opportunity to listen to it for the last uh, little while, and uh, Jason, man, you did it again.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. Um, you know, it, it's it's a challenge every time, uh, but I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. I think it's a good record. Um, thank you.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure you'll know what you think of it in a few years. In a way. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, as you're probably right to today. After I've after I've had to sing the songs a thousand times live, then I'll I'll decide if I like them or not. But, you know, I, this is the first one that I really, um, after recording the record, uh, I spent more time driving around listening to this one in the car than I have any other album. So I think that's a good sign.
0: Oh, yeah, I think that that, I, yeah, that means something. If you can watch, uh, for me, I know if I can watch the work, right, in the shadow of making it and not just be cringing all over the place, it's a very useful sign. You know what I mean? Usually you go kind of crazy watching it over and over when you're making it. But then as soon as you're done, for me anyway, I stop.
1: Yeah, I usually don't want to have anything to do with it for a while. Um, I mean, especially because I know I'm going to have to go back out and perform it again at some point. Um, And, you know, I've kind of gotten to the point where um, even sort of past cringing, just on the last couple of records on this one and the Nashville sound, I've gotten to a point where I feel like I can listen to it uh, a little separate from the person who made it. Um, and yes. I don't know if you ever feel that way about, about your work, but that's a, that's a really valuable gift, you know, and it's not something you can, I don't know that there's any like path to get there or any formula for that. I think just at a certain point, it just sort of clicked in. And I thought, well, I can, I can listen to this like a, like a stranger.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, that happens to me after, um, about a year, I think what I'm making it. I can, right. I can detach enough, but then probably right in the shadow of it, it's harder, but I, I, I yeah. before I write the finale of any season, I go back and I watch the finales of the prior seasons and I've been doing that. And, I can watch those episodes like a viewer. I can watch those episodes like a viewer now. Um, but hey yeah. man, he- here's where I-, I wanted to start this really. Um i I'm having like kind of a rough time in the last week or so and today uh, in finding meaning and okay. in-, in doing it. I'm just wondering how are you how are you doing it? Like, how are you feeling? Uh, I mean I read the Times article this morning about you and Amanda and it was incredible window into how you processed a bunch of stuff kind of right before this but like I really walk around today I said to Amy I, I just have the, the the desire to kind of quit all of it right now I look at what's going on in the country I look at the 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 way that it's being managed the the people who are supporting the way it's being managed and it it's sometimes feels overwhelming and I, and and it makes it feel like the work it's hard to find it's it's hard to justify in some way. Does it ever hit you that way or can you always set Yeah.
1: Yeah, it it is, but it's always been a, a luxury to be creative. Um you know, and there <laughs> yep. have always there've always been more important things uh forever in every you know, the last time people really needed the written word was when it was on the wall of a cave. Uh, ever since then it's <laughs> been you know ever since then it's been a vanity project for all of us um you know if, if it's if you're writing anything other than your grocery list or some kind of safety rules for your for your house uh you're you're just you're just pissing in the wind and i mean i'm the kind of person who like some people look at everything and think my life is meaningless and my work is meaningless, and that makes me depressed but I'm the kind of person who thinks my life is meaningless and my work is meaningless. And that makes me exuberant, you know, because I, I can't fuck it up. None of us alone can fuck it up. It's going to keep going. You know, the world's going to keep doing its thing. Um, human nature is going to keep being, uh, you know, beautiful and shitty and everything in between all at the same time. Um, And I have found myself reverting back to the initial reasons why I started creating in the first place. Um, You know, I'm forced to do that because the the tertiary benefits are gone. That, that like that feeling of getting up in front of an audience and, you know, they're all screaming your name and, and jumping up and down. That stuff is no more for now. Um, I feel like it'll happen again but for the time being I have to you know I have to train myself to not need that and in all honesty that is a good thing for me because um all that stuff is is really sort of incidental you know the the real reason for creating stuff for me is is what I get out of the process of creating it and I know that sounds kind of like bullshit no. but you know, I sit around now and play the guitar three or four hours a day. Like I got up early so I could play the guitar before I started doing interviews today. Um And it just, it, it does everything that I need it to do. And I don't need anybody else for that. You know, Um uh I'm not necessarily a collaborative artist in, in a way. So I guess, you know, I can just sit, I can play guitar all day and I have been an artist for that day. And, in all honesty, yes. like, that's the most I ever got out of it, Brian, you know? I mean, there was other stuff, but all that was sort of a uh, an illusion.
0: Well, wh- what are the... So you said it brings you back to the primary reasons. I relate to everything you're saying. I, I would say I have days of feeling it's... it's Of being depressed by the, the feeling that it's useless almost never, which is why it struck me today, right? I mean, I'm mm-hmm. I'm someone who believes the reward isn't... In, I, I, in my whole career, like, my whole life of doing this was about... It's... The, Getting to do it, like actually writing something, actually creating right, something, right. is the whole reward. But then to somehow this week in particular, watch and what's going on. I had that other feeling. But what are for you the 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 sort of the primal things you get out of the, get the playing part? But what's the primal thing you get out of writing? Is it a way you understand what you're thinking about?
1: Yeah, I think I understand myself better you know, but there's also a reward system there. Um, uh, and it doesn't really come from, I don't think an external response to the work. I think when I write something and I know that it's right or I play something and I know that it's uh, creative in the right way, you know, I just get, I just get a shot of uh, brain chemicals and, and it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like, Oh, I can do this. And, and I mean, when I was a kid, you know, and, and, things got tough at home that's what i did i just sat and played you know or i wrote something most of the time i just sat and played guitar but but it's kind of that and and it's probably just a default mode for me it's like when everything is going to shit there's this one thing that you can control and that you can allow to be controlled you allow yourself to be controlled by you know it's just like you have a fighter jet in your backyard and and when everything goes to shit, then go, let's go fly around the fighter jet for a while. That's always fun. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's not like that yeah. keeps me from being angry or keeps me from being right. frustrated. You know, there's still, yeah, there are days when I'm just really, really down and really, uh, really pissed, you know? And I mean, yesterday was a hard day for me. I didn't really sleep the night before. Um, right. You know, it, it, it there are days like that, uh, just like there are for everybody, but I guess it's just an outlet. It's not really an escape, but it's just an outlet, and it's kind of like I can I can uh, plug into something that that feels unifying to me. Something that feels like it's not an argument between different people and their levels of education and their levels of empathy <laughs> and their you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just like yeah. you know. I know idiots. I know complete fucking idiots who can play rings around me on the guitar. And when I'm playing the guitar and I come up with something cool, I think, man, I'm not all that different from that complete fucking idiot. (laughs) You know, everything else makes us feel alien. Like the news, you know, the, 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 the government's response to the virus, the virus itself, even in like the most, um, um, uh, pragmatic metaphorical way. We are all alien from each other. We're alienated from each other right now. and, I think what it what it really does for me is remind me, you know, that I have more in common with people than I think.
0: Right. It's not isolating for you. It's connect. It's connecting you. And you're talking about on a metaphysical level being connected. Not not as connecting you because other people can hear it and and then um, respond to you. But the the mere act of it is some way of 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 getting to this primal place of where we can all exist, kind of. Yeah
1: or or, uh, even if we can't, even if we can't just the fact that we did and that we all did the same thing in a certain way, you know, like, like if I play a really awesome fucking guitar riff and nobody hears it, but me at the same time, I feel connected to Jimi Hendrix and uh, Ted Nugent, you know, and there's nothing else in the whole world that connects me to both Jimi Hendrix and Ted Nugent, nothing. Um, You know, I'm I'm probably, I like to think of myself as being more connected to Hendrix than I am to Nugent. But, in fact, the only thing the three of us have in common is every once in a while we'll play a fucking sick guitar lick, you know?
0: Yeah. uh, Nugent, Ted hasn't played a sick guitar lick in in a long time, I don't think. Um,
1: It's been a while. He's he's just... He's been playing the
0: same. <laughs> yeah, the same riff. Look, yeah. long before I knew his politics, I once went to the Nassau Coliseum and saw him play, and it's one of—I was fifteen or sixteen. It's one of three concerts I ever walked out on. And um, oh yeah. And uh, so, I'm um, yeah, I, I'm I can proudly say I had the opinion before, um, I knew, <laughs> but. Uh, so that feels that feels good to me, you know what I mean so I don't have to yeah, like lie yeah. about it on the other hand, no, I think no, Steve yeah. Miller's a genius and it drives me crazy, but I can't help it. I put on the records and I love them even though yeah. i I you know I disagree with every word that comes out of that guy's mouth, but like right, I put those right. records on him and that, that guy could really play um yeah so does writing the words serve that kind of function too for you just does does, does trying to make those connections does to the melodies i'll tell you i've been i've been playing your songs a lot on guitar you know i i for me i write i write songs as a way to not have all that stuff you were talking about about your work for for me because when i'm writing the thing that i'm writing professionally there's stakes attached i can't detach myself from the Mm -hmm. stakes during a season but I can write mm-hmm. songs, and there's no stakes at all. I'm just trying to do the best I can possibly do with my limited toolbox, you know. And right. I will, um, and I, I don't care, you know. I know no one's going to really hear them, and it doesn't, you know. They're they're for me. Um, but I've been playing your songs a bunch on the guitar and singing them, and I'll play something and sing something like Tupelo, and what'll strike me is, um, the uh, the simplicity, the chordal sort of directness, simplicity, and then these melodies that let that that float on top. And I picture, you know, I play them the way that somebody might um, type out the first few pages of a Hemingway book if they're a writer to understand something about it. And for me, playing and singing your songs uh, is it also functions as a way to try to understand those moments of creation for you. And yeah. uh, and I'm wondering, like, so I heard that I heard you describe writing Tupelo once and that you'd smoke the joint and all this stuff. But what I'm, I'm really wondering is when a melody like that shows up, does it happen all at once, Jason? Do you just find that, Do, is it worked at the same way words are worked at? Is the working at it just a matter of not settling? Because I hear something like that and it's one of those melodies that feels like it's been here forever, only I've never heard it before. And I'm wondering how it struck you when it showed up. Um, You know, the melody part of
1: things is probably the most mysterious of all to me. Yes. Because lyrically, you know, lyrically you're writing something. And that can be done with time. Um, uh, And uh, as far as chord progressions go, I mean, you know where chords are supposed to go, what's supposed to come next, what's going to lead to something else, what's going to sound right. Um, But melody, you know, I'll tell you something interesting about that song. It's kind of, that song more comes comes from a tradition of, of, uh, melodically, um, singers who don't necessarily play a rhythm instrument as they're singing you know um uh, i think van morrison first that's probably the closest to a direct you know to a direct influence on that song and i think once that word sort of stuck with me from tupelo honey i thought well maybe i could go in kind of a van morrison direction but you know van played the saxophone and that's a that's a melody instrument completely there's no rhythm generated you know, nothing chordal generated by a single saxophone whatsoever. It's impossible. And for me, starting out as a guitar player, I was more drawn toward lead guitar. So I played guitar solos for a long, long, long time. It took a long time for my rhythm playing to catch up um, because I just wasn't as interested in it early on. And I think sometimes when I'm writing a melody, I I get a lot of benefit from being able to play the guitar as a lead instrument. um, But then also simultaneously being able to accompany myself. So it makes the melody and the, and the chord changes uh, line up in a way where it almost seems like two people uh, have written the song, one person who plays the saxophone and one person who plays the piano. Um, You know, so I think when I'm writing a melody, I'm, I'm soloing in a lot of ways.
0: Um, Sure, that makes total and, sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And and you use the same kind of wit that you do when you're improvising because you're trying to quickly respond to the chords underneath you and to also what you just did, um, but in a way that sounds natural. And then you just you save that and and you move on, you know.
0: And when something like that happens, and you've written so many of those melodies in your in your life, I mean, this new album is just like peppered with them tupelo because it's been something that that I'm never tired of that melody and it's some one that I've heard, listened to that song and played it over and over again. As that was happening, are are you trying to grab the lightning in the bottle? Like, are you aware I got to make this work right now? I got to get this down. I got to re- remember it. Are you trying to refine that melody or like once you find it, do you know, okay, now I have a song because I have this I have this melodic structure. Now I have to really make the words work.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the latter. I don't, I don't refine the melody too much. Nobody's ever really asked me that, so I'm glad you did. But, um, yeah, the melody is where the least editing happens for me. Um, and I think it's because it goes back to that idea of improvisationally, you know, playing a, a lead instrument, uh, which is sort of the same thing that I'm doing in my head. It's like, uh, everything else I work to fit the melody and the phrasing. And, you know it creates another level of the puzzle if you have something that you really want to say um but if the melody comes yeah. first like it did with that song um or with traveling alone the melody came first the melody and yep. and just the just the main words of the chorus came first just with both of those songs um and i guess those two songs have a lot of similarities for that purpose um it just makes them more lyrical uh more musical i guess than than um, you know, narrative-driven in a lot of ways, and I'll follow that rather than I wouldn't take a song like Tupelo and say I need to make this a song that says something extremely <laughs> uh, poignant and something that seems unique. You know, I wouldn't do that because that would be, I think, fighting against the the melodic tendency of the song. That should be one that just sort of floats along and paints a, a broad picture.
0: Uh, yet. Yet that song speaks to the very sort of uh, isolation, alienation, desire for connection, nostalgia, all the shit that we're living in now, man. Even though it's years later, right? The song turned out to be about something. Even yeah, though, it,
1: it, and it, it and it was originally too. I mean, it's you know you can be broad without being vague um, in a song, especially. You, you can't really. It's hard to do those things if you're writing anything other than a song. But you know you have the. The 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 um, extra boost of being able to sing the words Um, so you can do things like like like, you know, like Jay Farrar does all the time where it's like, man, I'm really feeling something. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, but I'm really feeling something right now.
0: I mean, you're really yeah. pandering to me with that. You're really pandering to me with that Jay Farrar shit, man. You know, you're just speaking my... You're completely speaking my language with that shit. It's, yes.
1: You know what I mean? It's like, I have no idea yes, what he's talking about half the time, but he's one of my favorite songwriters. and, and uh, Me too. He can, do it, he can do it in a way that, that hardly anybody else can, because it's like, most of the time, I need more information, you know, to actually latch on to something. But with Jay, it's I'm like, yeah, that makes sense somehow I don't know how but it makes
0: sense well it, it goes back to that primal thing you were talking about I mean I had him on the podcast and, and we'd gone back and forth in the past and I saw Tupelo play you know and, and like even in conversation it's hard to really you get the point but it's hard to really uh-huh. disambiguate the, the fucking words you know what I mean um, yeah
1: he's so, so dry he's so dry
0: It's unbelievable but mm-hmm. uh, yeah if people don't know him they should go listen to, go listen to Sun Vault Jay Farrar So I, I had there's this one question that I, I asked you when we did this back in February 2015 that I I'm I, I need to kind of ask you again and because this thing happened I was down covering the Masters at Sports Illustrated I, I heard you speak about something like this in the in uh, that GQ article but I had this specific thing which is I was down covering the Masters for Sports Illustrated and these. Four or five sports writers like Kevin Vell Valkenberg, Barry uh, Zvaluga, Mark McCluskey, and Michael Rosenberg asked me, like, hey, can we have lunch with you, coffee? We just want to talk to you. And mm-hmm. I assumed it was going to be about billions of rounders, you know. Um, <laughs> and they sat me because, right? And they sat me. They were like, look, we don't normally do this. We're jaded. They know it. I, I wrote about how jaded they all were. And they literally, we sat down. I was like, what's up, guys? And they were like, we we just want you to know we're fans. And I was like, that's so cool. And they go, yeah, of your conversations with Jason Isbell and Craig, with Jason Isbell and Craig Finn. And I was like, they're like, what's, what's J? what are those guys really like? Is Isbell really cool? Is Craig a nice guy? So, uh, and that's no bullshit. Like the most jaded motherfuckers in the world. Yeah. And all they wanted to do was talk to me, uh, about you and Craig. And, um, I, I ended up getting Craig on the phone with one of them when we were there. And, uh. You know, so those guys are all top top sports writers. They're my age, I guess, between your age and my age. Yeah. I asked you this when you were only like a year and a half into being considered the way you are now, and it was how do you process this love that's directed at you? And but I want to ask it this way, like does it make sense to you and what do you feel is your obligation as a result? Of it? Because on the one hand you say none of this matters, but on the other hand, we both know that story of Springsteen post 9/11 walking around and someone saying we need you bruce and as as yeah as a fan of your music jason now you you and i are 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 something like friends we're pals we've spent you know every time you come to new york you're nice enough to have me in your dressing room often it's just the two of us we're talking a while yeah. but i've kept yeah. myself i've kept myself in, intentionally in the mode of being a fan of your work like you know there's that way you can make a transition where you're just like ah fuck it that's just a dude but i love right, the fact right. that you're the songwriter that you are and that your work means what it means to me. I want your work to mean what it means to me. And it's not meaningless. It gets me through bad days, for real, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. like you're, and, and you might be at, at 53, which I am, you might be the last artist that comes along that that hits me that way. I was much younger when I got into Craig Finn's music. But you're you're like maybe the last artist. You know, your album came out in 2013, the one that, that really like blew my mind, even though I was a longtime fan of yours. But how do you process it now? Now you're years into it, man. I mean, how do you process the way that your work lands for guys like me and 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 people within a 30-year age span of me? And uh and yeah, what what does it obligate you to, do you think as an artist? Well,
1: um I mean, I signed up for it, you know. It doesn't it's not something that makes me uncomfortable in a general sense. I like, I'm, I'm okay with that. There are you know there are artists that I think of that way, too, and there always have been um uh, I think that I think that there's there there's a certain type of guy who you know grew up a certain type of way, who is trying to sort through uh, his masculinity and his manhood and the idea of you know what parts of that are serving me and what parts of that am I serving? And I think there's this kind of constant conversation between people like you and me and the sports writers who, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, you know, what good is it to be a man? Like this is something that I was born yeah. with and I'm that I'm stuck with. How how can I use that to make everything better rather than make everything worse? And it really seems like for thousands of years we have been using masculinity yeah. to make everything worse over and over and over, and uh, you know, and we're still doing it. And it's so ingrained, you know, it's so like genetic and systematic that. You know, even the, even the guys who are trying their very hardest, you know, if you're a straight white man, even if you're doing your very best every day to be aware of that, you still slip up
0: and you do a lot of shit. Yeah, we're still, we're still, we're still, um, we still won't relent. We still won't surrender. Right. No, so, no, 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 because
1: that's we, the opposite of uh, yeah. We're still like yeah, you know, I, I'll I'll do my best, but I'm still the man in the room, and, right? It's the know, worst, dude. It's the mistakes. worst. Unconsciously, we make these mistakes, and it's it's funny yeah. because it's like, you know, you you catch yourself. Like sometimes I catch myself going off on a diatribe. You know about how about toxic masculinity, and then I realize the irony <laughs> of that. Oh yes, I am yelling at this room about uh, how men have ruined the world by yelling at rooms of people for thousands of years. Um, so I I feel like when that part of my work is recognized, I feel like I'm on some type of a team. And as we all know, there's nothing a sports writer loves more than the team. There's nothing anybody really loves more than than being on the the right team, not even the winning team, but just being on the right team. Okay. And I feel like part of that team. And, you know, sometimes I feel like a team captain, and it's a great thing. It's a great feeling, and it's more rewarding to me than any kind of, you know, celebrity or, or – uh, uh, um, you know, it's it's just, it's something that I, I, I I like, it does a lot for me and it also holds me to a standard. Um, and you know, I've, I've set myself up in a way, uh, luckily and, and honestly through a lot of work and, and a lot of thought, I have set myself up in a way that what people expect from me is honesty. And, uh, You know, they don't expect me to not fuck up. Just like the Times article this morning, they don't expect Amanda and I to be in a perfect relationship that is consistently the ideal. What they expect is for us to be honest. And I think people who approach art and creativity and music and entertainment in the way that I have, you know, those become the expectations. And when those are the expectations, then you actually do yourself a, a solid by fulfilling those expectations. Um, you know, nobody's expecting me to write hits. Nobody's expecting me to to come out and wow them with pyrotechnics. You know, uh, people are expecting me to tell them the truth, and you know, just turn just it just so happens that that's that's good for me. If I do that, that helps me too. You know,
0: no, that makes total sense. I mean, the more I was talking about this on Tim Ferriss's podcast the other day, the more you can the outer you and the inner you are the same. The more you can, the public and the private person can be the same, the easier it is to go through life. You just have to then make sure that person is trying to get better all the time, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to. I mean, that's the, that's the reason, you know, when the nineties came along um, and, and, you know, Kurt Cobain and Pearl Jam and, and Soundgarden and all these bands came out and, and, and not only did they explode and become, immensely popular, but they completely uh, uh, destroyed everything that had come immediately before. They just, it just evaporated. You know, all the hair bands and all the... Yeah, everything
0: disappeared except everything except Guns N' Roses disappeared.
1: Yeah, except Guns N' Roses, because they were uh, really good, and honestly because Slash was the only person playing an Old Les Paul at that point in time. But, um... (laughs) But it just no, yeah. it just yes. destroyed everything that came before because people are like, oh wait, you can be the same person on stage and off. Oh well, why haven't we been doing this the whole time? You know,
0: it's funny. I guess yeah, they were in a way emulating Neil, who did it at various points along the way. Neil Young, right? And yeah, and, yeah. But but in sort of a yeah, I, I said this thing the other day when Axel got um, when Axel. Took a shot at Mnuchin, I said something about Axel being the last rock star, and and people started oh, saying, well, "What about?" And and yeah, and people got pissed. I, I hope you didn't take personal offense. You're still a rock star, don't worry. But uh, but people. No, got, I understood uh,
1: exactly what you meant. I understood exactly what you meant.
0: Yeah, but I knew you'd I, understand.
1: I, I, I just think that. I just think that sort of transmuted uh, to a complete, you know, to another culture and another type of music. I mean, if Kanye West is not a rock, that's star, right. Then there's never been one, and sure, know, that's just, a fair he,
0: argument. Sure,
1: yeah, and I mean, I, to, I totally disagree with almost everything he said over the last couple of years. But the man is a rock star, you know.
0: Well, it's interesting. We don't have to get off on a Kanye rant, but it's amazing. I never have I disliked someone more whose music I thought was greater. So, uh, yeah, like you know, beautiful. He's, he's brilliant. Th- he's a. G- he is just totally brilliant, and yet I have no desire to talk to him. And that is what I meant. Yeah. You know, it's what I meant about Axel too. Axel, I was like Eddie Vedder; has done everything in his power to convince you he's not a rock star. Don't call him exactly. a rock star. He doesn't.
1: Yeah, you're not supposed to be comfortable. Want. Yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to be comfortable with a rock star. You're supposed to be a little bit scared. Yeah,
0: you know. Um, that's no, that's exactly right. No, that's exactly yeah. right. But but the other side of it is though this fandom, like, I guess I wondered, was it fun? Like, so. You know, Stephen Hayden posted that list of the 30 best Jason Isbell songs, and then um, I sort of performatively angry, but di- genuinely disagreeing, <laughs> posted, you know, posted mine, and even Sadler got in the conversation, and... um mm-hmm a bunch of people were commenting, Tracy was, uh, Tracy, your manager was, an, uh, uh, gave me a shot for not including the new music, even though she explicitly told me I wasn't allowed to tell anyone I had the new music. Oh, yeah. Um, so so I felt that was unfair. I felt that was an unfair. I, mean, I said, Tracy, yeah, I, you I said I can't so. tell anyone. I think but, so, yeah. um, yeah, but, uh, but is that like, so you see that obviously you're not going to get in the middle of it when you're, when we're, when we're, when you see grown men who all are like people in the world having these conversations, but mm-hmm. is that, um, is it sort of beside the point to you? Is it fun to watch that? Is it annoying? Like, ha- cause I mean, you know, like I say, you and I are something like buddies where we know each other, but generally watching that kind of thing, what is that feel like to you? I mean, I know I get it when people argue about my episodes, but I want to know from your point of view what that felt like.
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm glad people are talking about my music in a positive way um, and and a thoughtful way. Uh, so I look at it and I think, yeah, this is cool. But, you know, I'm happy to have people playfully arguing online because so much of the arguing online is not playful. Um, and it's not about something as positive and incidental as, as a list of songs. So yeah, I thought, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is fun. This is good. I'm glad they're doing this. But, um, also if I go down the rabbit hole of reading all of those, um, (laughs) then I wind up thinking, I don't know my own music at all. Um, you know, because I'm (laughs) not, I'm not the, I'm not the best critic of my own work. And, and, uh, I know that the older I get, the more I do this, the more I realize that I, I'm not a critic at all, you know? And I even like, I get kind of pissed when uh, people in interviews ask me about other artists, uh, you know, because it's like, I, that's not my job. And and when you ask me about another artist, you know, you put me in a position of like, uh, either I have to lie or I have to be an asshole because I know these people, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, if if i like them you're going to already pretty much know about it you're going to hear me on twitter talking about it or something cuz i have no problem giving a signal boost to people who i feel like deserve it but at the same time i can't start liking everything man if i start liking everything just because the people are my friends then i'll make some i'll make some mediocre music um you know so i don't i don't read too far into that i agree with things. that completely look,
0: you can never find you can never find me criticizing You will not find out of you know thousands and thousands of tweets not one of me criticizing somebody's movie or television show. I won't say I just it's not my job to do that. I'll talk about music because that's not what I do.
1: Totally, yeah, and I'll 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 do critique of television shows, but um, it's it's not my job, and it doesn't do anybody any good, and and it's just kind of to me it's just kind of gross either way unless you know if there's something i love i will say hey i love this this is fucking great like the yes. fiona apple record is beautiful a yes. masterful piece of work you know i'll talk about that all day but but don't ask me like point blank what do you think of so-and-so's new album i give a shit about so-and-so's new album
0: now that you're not an elder statesman exactly, but you are in your forties and you've been doing this since you were early Mm twenties. When you hear someone, your influence now, because it's there, right? I can't listen to Tyler Childress without hearing your influence. And this long before today, I found out he covered, um, uh, one of your songs, Goddamn Lonely Love. I didn't know that, but, but, um, I didn't, I didn't know. I just, you know, I listened to his record and I'm like, well, that's a guy who weirdly, this is the way the world works. Like, Part of him grew up listening to Jason in The, right, in the right. Truckers and then uh, Alone. I think he's really good. You don't have to comment on it. But my question is, when you hear your influence in the work now, as a writer, as a singer, do, does it hit you in any way? Do you, do you, do you notice it? Can you hear that in, in other people's music? Do you feel good about it? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. I hear it instantly. Um, uh, probably, I probably hear it more than it's actually there. You know, I think, I think we all do that. Oh, he's ripping me off! No, he's not. He's ripping off the ripping off the person you ripped off, maybe. Um, but uh, uh, you know, I met Tyler in a in a parking lot in uh, I think we were in uh, Kentucky uh, years ago. He came up before my sound check, and him and one of his buddies, and he was all nervous. And you know, his buddy introduced us, and Tyler was talking about how he was writing songs and really liking the music and all this stuff. And uh, I remember it. And then, you know, years later, when I started seeing his name circulated around, it made, it made me really super happy. Um, you know, that's, that's, I think that's a, a totally positive thing. And it also goes back to, to the, what we were talking about before. If you set yourself up with the right intentions, then when people rip you off, you know, it feels like you're all teaming up to do something good. And, um, you know, I, I, I've had this conversation with Amanda a few times, too. It's like, you know, both of us see things where it's like, oh, I can tell she's she's doing her hair like you or she's, you know, do, or, yeah. or he's 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 answering these questions like he thinks I would answer these questions. And it's good because if you're if you're being honest, you know, let let people copy your good works, you know, um, and honesty is always a good Think, it's just a good thing to spread, and if they're out, you know, people out there talking about like sobriety and talking about that in their songs, and and um, you know, talking about it openly in interviews and stuff, then that's their own decision. And as we know, that's a different that's a different road for everybody. But um, but you know, there, there, there's two potential ways for me to look at that. I could look at it with bitterness and say. Oh man, this guy's ripping me off. You know, his whole life is ripping me off. Or I could look at it and say, you know, maybe I inspired something to do somebody to do something positive and now they're spreading that word even farther. You know, when you when you when you remove your own ego from the message and just like try to like just try to enjoy the fact that the message is spreading and when you try to like root for the message rather than yourself as the messenger then it all really gets pretty beautiful in that way
0: yeah that makes sense to me and and to be clear i i don't think tyler rips you off i just think tyler i can just tell from a melodic and i can just tell that guy spent a lot of time listening to jason Isbell. and then like harold bloom talks about in 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 um going down that rabbit hole of 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 that influence i think he's created something original but um that that still pays homage to you in a fascinating way and i just wondered if you'd noticed it so i, I love that you guys met yeah, you know, i love that he came up to you in a parking lot that's super cool
1: yeah he came, he came up to me before any anything happened for him really um and yeah i definitely want to be clear i don't i don't i don't think he's copying me in in, in any way other than just you know this is somebody that he listened to on his way to figuring out how to do what he wanted to do um exactly anytime i hear yeah but anytime i hear something that reminds me uh even a little bit of my own work you know um i'm happy about it you know even if it's like and this is this is a different thing but even if it's like music row uh you know nashville establishment pop country world you know because i hear that a lot too and I, I, you know, I know I can see that shit. I know what y'all are doing, you know, um, <laughs> and, and I like it, I like it because then it's like, well, the message that, that I have been trying to spread along with all of my buddies over here on the wrong side of the tracks has crossed over to the, to the, to the ritzy neighborhood now, you know, and, and sometimes those guys in their hit songs decide to slip something in that they wouldn't have otherwise. And and
0: it makes me happy
1: because it's like, I feel like an infiltrator at that point. And that's, that's really great.
0: Well, I was going to ask you that, you know, I was going to ask you if if you feel like the broader country music world has accepted you the, because you know, in the beginning, they resisted you quite hard and they were angry with you at times, you know, you, they, they, you had some beef and, uh, but now, you you know, your, your your albums go number one on the country chart and um, you are clearly an influence in various ways. You play the rhyme in as many days as you want to in a row. But so um and yes, I, too, can you know, if I pick up an, an old Dominion record, I can hear that those guys who I think are super talented have listened to Jason Isbell or, uh, you know, and, and uh, but has the broader country music world accepted you? Uh, because to me, you. Y- you know, you you and Amanda and, and the the world of, of what you guys do, and I guess Sturgill is in some way in in that thing. You know, people now look at Willie and Waylon as though they were part of that world, but the uh, they were outlaws because they weren't, the, actually the, the that world had rejected them for a while. Then they right, right. then they all adopted. Then they all like ad- ad- adopted all the outer manifestations of what those guys were really living. And I'm wondering if you yeah. feel that how that all what that all feels like to you.
1: Um. You know, I, I think it's a positive development, and and I mean, all the creators of that popular country music, you know, they've always treated um, us with respect, um, and and you know, Amanda and I, if we go to a. a, a CMA show or or you know BMI songwriters uh, function or something those folks are always super super nice to us and always have been and it used to be kind of with a wink and a nod like um like hey I know about you guys I'm cool you know um uh I just want (laughs) to say hey because you know like like I know what you heard yeah. on the radio, but when I'm home, I'm writing really great songs, you know, um, but yeah, sure. uh, now it's, it's become more of an open secret, I think. Um, and you know, I think it's, it's all good because even like the, the version of, of, of music row that was ripping off, uh, Willie and Waylon, that was better than what they were doing right before that. You know, um, even just the, the uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, the image and the trappings. What what they took away from Willie and Waylon, even though that might not have been the true heart and the nature of what they were expressing, it still improved their work. You know, and um, it made it and and oh, yeah. by improve, I mean made it more honest and more real and more truthful. And um, you know, if 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 my music is is a popular uh, artist's avenue into the truth and it makes them feel more comfortable maybe slipping in a little bit of their own experience into their uh, attempts at generating revenue, then I am fine with that. You know, I don't need them to get the whole story. There's a lot of people who get the whole story, you know.
0: When when you talk about them as popular artists, you're almost saying like they're popular artists as separate from from. From you, And it made me think about this thing that I'm sure you've read a bunch of times, because I've read it a bunch of times about you, which is people say things like, if the music business was the way it used to be, Jason would be as popular as Bruce Springsteen was in 1984. Like, I've read that at least five different times, where somehow mm-hmm. people feel like you're, you're still not getting your your due, and that you should be a stadium act. Now, I, I, too, think your work is of the level that you should be a stadium act, if that's what you wanted, but... I just wondered where you, like, do you wish, do you need that? Like Bruce needed that. He's talked about it many, many times, right? He had his, yeah. his appetite, his desire, the emptiness that he felt in other ways. He he absolutely needed stadiums full of people singing every word um, to not feel empty and alone, right? And I, I right. And then other people want it for other reasons, but... Do you need it? Do you feel you're still undervalued in that way, and you you, you want to be much bigger than you are?
1: Well, um, short answer is no. Uh, but the a longer you have to remember, and I'm sure you do. But in 1984, there there was there weren't a lot of options. You know, there was either yeah, there was MTV, by the way, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you you as far as levels. Uh, that you could maintain right. and have a career, you know, there was one level, yes. basically. Either it's all or nothing. Either you're a huge star, you're on a major label, and you're selling millions of records, or you're going back into the workforce. Um, you know, Bruce did not have yes. the option of being a well-regarded independent artist who plays for 2,500 or 3,500 people a night, um, you know, that was not a choice that was available to people back then. Um,
0: well, and I, sorry not you know, to interrupt, it, but I just want to say, and, 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 and to, I just want to say one thing, which is that, and to become, a, uh, not just work, workforce, you can become a wealthy person, like a very wealthy person, paying, playing to 3,500 3, people a night. So that well, is a yeah, difference too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, most certainly. And like, you know, back then, those guys didn't own their publishing, they didn't own their masters of huh. uh, you know, they weren't out promoting their own festivals that, you know, that the, the ability to invest in yourself was not there in the way that it is now. And, you know, I mean, if if like I, I just can't think of more things that I want, I don't, I don't need more money. You know, if we go on a few more months and I can't go out and work, yeah, that's probably going to change. But, you know, as right. far as like some sort of financial success, I'm not you know, I, I, I've got plenty of guitars and, uh, you know, my kid is clean and fed and we're good, but, you know, as far as like more, I just, I just don't, I don't feel that need for, for more celebrity or more recognition. Um, it, there's something exciting about it to me because like when, you know, bef- when we finish making reunions, um, before the virus, uh, I did kind of in the back of my mind think, this will probably change things again, you know. Um, I yes. think it still, it still probably will, but had the virus not come along, it would have changed things a lot um, for me and for my family. And, you know, it's it's kind of like jumping off a really tall cliff into a hmm. fairly safe, pool of water. It's like you're excited because you know you're about to do something that's really fun, but also you got to keep in mind that it's dangerous. And if you do it the wrong way, you might hit a rock on the way down. And it's 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 like that for me because I was gearing up in my mind like, okay, this album's probably going to reach more people than we've reached in the past, um, so things are going to ratchet up a notch, but at the same time, you have to be aware that there are dangers to that. Um you know, and then sure. all of a sudden the virus happened, and that wasn't really an issue anymore. It was just like, okay, how can we keep the wheels turning and keep the lights on and and keep everybody paid and, and make sure that the album gets what the album deserves, rather than worrying about moving to some next level, you know. If that happens, it's incidental at this point. It's no longer a goal.
0: Well, I, I've been long asking Tracy when you were going to play The Garden. I feel like I'm pretty sure you could play the garden now if you wanted to, you guys have just been going slowly at it. And I would, yeah, we, we could. it's funny. Yeah, and it, I mean, you'd sell it out and I, I, I'm pretty sure you'd sell it out. And as a, um, you know, as someone who, who got in under the wire of before you became super famous, like I do love seeing you at the beacon and coming every night. And it's a really special thing, but I would also love to see you walk out on that garden stage and, and, and own it and have it. And, So that is you would like that experience of of headlining arenas at some time for the experience of it. I'm asking. I mean, you you would or you wouldn't. If I didn't know what the production costs were at the Garden, uh, yes.
1: (laughs) 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 But in order for me to do this the way I want to, and to ensure that I never have to write a song to try to sell it to people. I gotta know what the production costs are at the garden, Brian. And I gotta know what they are at Radio City and I gotta know what they are at the Beacon. And I gotta make the right call. And like because because as long as the business side of things is covered, that gives me complete creative freedom. If I wanna go in and make a ridiculous guitar record, um, I can do that. And it doesn't matter if if five thousand people buy it, you know. Um, it also you know, I I would I would go I would when I walked on the stage at the garden, it would be very exciting and I would have a great two hours. And then I would leave town and go play another big place in another city and yep. it would be a great two hours. But right now I go to New York for a week. You know, I hang out in New York with my friends for a week yep. and I eat great food and I play uh, you know, to three thousand people four or five nights in a row and it's a fucking blast. And in all honesty, that's more fun than two hours at the garden for me.
0: Yeah. Well, look, it's always a true highlight. I mean, I, you I don't, I know. I, I mean, it's fine for people. On the pod. I mean, it's always a true highlight for me. It's one of the only things, as I said, when Ezra, uh, when Ezra Koenig was on the podcast, like only vampire weekend and, and Jason Isbell get my whole family out to a show. That's it. Those are the only acts. And, and you know, the nights that I take Anna, uh, to come see you because it'll be all of us, and then me and Anna will come for however many shows. I mean, it's incredibly special to me to come to those shows, come spend time with you and Amanda, and afterwards, and 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 watch this community of people who care about you and your music. B- but there is also something about what it would feel like t- to have the experience of when you're singing "Cover Me Up," and half the half the crowd is crying, and people are hugging their loved ones and connecting over time to see the whole Madison square garden do that would be very moving. I think also, Yeah, you know what I mean? It would.
1: Yeah, it would. And there may be a time in my
0: career when I, when I do that.
1: Um, but right now, you know, I just, I really enjoy rather than playing Bridgestone in Nashville, you know, I like playing at the Ryman for a week or a week and a half. It's, it's, uh, it's more of an event and it's more of an experience for me. Um, yeah, you know, no, that makes sense. It, really, there's not you can't get a lot higher than a couple hours on stage at the Beacon when it's sold out and everybody's having a great huh. time. You don't. There's not really a better feeling than that. And if you go looking for it in a bigger room with more people, um, you're probably just going to wind up wasting your time.
0: Sure, I I get it. And also in the Beacon, you know every single person is there. They know it because they know every word, and they really, yeah. they really, really give a shit. And I get to play so
1: many songs. Over the course of five or six nights somewhere, I get to play songs from my whole catalog and I get to like, you know, create a set list that that changes every night. You know, if I'm I'm going out and playing arenas, I got to play all the big songs every time. And then there's not a whole lot of time left over for the B-sides, you know, for the deep cuts.
0: Yeah. Well, what I love in this conversation reveals is just how much you think about all this stuff. I I don't, and and part of it is because you're putting on a bunch of different hats and what you do, but it's also as an artist, these are, I understand why you frame it as a business choice, but then it's an art, it's an artistic choice as much as a business choice in a way.
1: Yeah, it is. It is definitely that, you know, and I think I just, I know what makes me happy, you know, and, and it makes me happy to like play it makes me happy to spend a lot of time in one end, one city, especially when it's somewhere like New York or Chicago or L.A., and I can, like, go see different things and, and have, like, a life during the day. Um, you know, I don't like having to sound check every day. If we go to a new venue, that's two hours of my day gone. So if I played a different room every night, I would get two hours a day less to just do what I wanted to do I would have to be sound checking for those those two hours um, you know so there's so many details that go into that that wind up shrinking the size of my of my actual non entertaining life down to almost nothing and uh, for me to stay happy and, and emotionally well I, I need um, time to just float around and, and be aware and and do fun stuff that
0: makes complete that makes complete sense I just want to go through these and make sure I, I hit things. Oh, can I ask Here's one uh, for people who are real Jason Isbell fans. What does Jimbo know about you that no one else does, man? <laughs> what, if, if Jimbo were able to... You know what I mean? What is what is the thing that he really would be able to say if if he ever... Uh, if it was ever the wrong night he got drunk and someone stuck a microphone in his
1: face? That's fun. Jimbo knows a lot of things about me. Um, you know, Jimbo, probably more than anybody else knows how much i drank and how fucked up i got at my most (laughs) fucked up you know because he was the only person that was around sometimes for that um yeah and jimbo he's the only person i think that has seen all of the different relationships that i've been through enough to know like what i look for in a partner and what i don't um you know he uh yeah, Jimbo. I mean, I was living with Jimbo when I was drinking my absolute most. And, and we would stay in the bar until two in the morning. And then when the bar closed, we'd bring everybody upstairs to our apartment and keep going for the rest of the night. So, yeah, Jimbo knows all kinds of stuff. man. So He was there.
0: He's just been there the, the whole time. He's He's been yeah, there. You know, like, it, even if the fight from songs that she sang in the shower isn't a real fight, I don't know if it is or it isn't. But if it if it were a real fight, he's the guy who would have been uh, there trying to get help you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. He know he knows where the bodies are buried, and and the 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 he he's probably the person. Yeah, like you say, who knows what really happened in the songs and what didn't. Um, he's probably That's the awesome. only person. Yeah, he's probably the only person who, when he hears a line, he can say, "Oh, I, I
0: know when that happened," or or he made that up. All right, that's good. I've now, I definitely have asked two questions that nobody else has asked. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that I feel good about that. Hey, what are you, now looking back, uh, I, I've come to know Patterson and Cooley a little bit over the last couple of years. I've got podcasted with each of them and communicate with Patterson sometimes. They both, you know, speak so highly of, of, of you and and it's interesting hearing each of them frame the whole thing. But what, what do you imagine, like what, what did you get Looking back, what did you think you got from from each of those guys, if anything as a as a writer as an artist like did you learn you think you learned anything from them
1: Oh yeah, yeah, a whole lot um you know foremost, I learned that uh that there's that it's it's okay to to take control of your own work and to take control of your own yep. business, and you know it's all right to fire people. Uh, you know, Patterson's the first person in the music business I ever saw fire somebody. And I thought, Man, how how do you do that? You know, that's gotta be incredibly hard, you know, leave a record label or, or, or fire a manager or something like Patterson was the first person I ever saw do that and and uh you know, the first person I ever saw argue with uh somebody who had more money than them, um, about their own career. Right. You know. Um, and, 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 you know, I got, I got this sense from being in that band that nobody can make you stop being a musician professionally. They can't, you know, they can't do what you can do. And in in most cases you can do what they do. That, that's something that I learned from Patterson. Patterson could run a record label, you know, Patterson can do A&R, um, but none of those guys could could do what he was doing and huh. you know right. he had some real he had some real dignity there you know and, and real like pride in the work even though the work was never going to be widely commercially accepted it was never going to be something that you know his his pride in what he did came from him knowing that it was good and that's the, that's it that's the only place it came from It didn't come from like, you know, look how many records I've made or how much money, how many records i sold or how much money I've made. It came from, I wrote this song and this song is worth a lot, you know, and because I wrote this song, I get to decide who hears it and how they hear it and why they hear it. And you don't get to decide that. And if you want to join me in my mission, great, fine, we'll work together. And if you don't, I will leave. And it doesn't matter if you tell me that I'm never going to have a career or if you tell me that I'm never going to make it, you know, never going to work again in this town or any of that bullshit. Because he, he, he just thought, you know, I have this thing that I can do and I'm going to do it my way. And it doesn't it doesn't matter. The threats uh, that come from money don't don't matter to me. And And that was invaluable for me. Invaluable. And I mean, I just I learned a lot about music you know, that I had never heard before from those guys, from everybody in that band. I mean, we rode around in the van listening to, you know, stuff that I'd never heard growing up because we didn't have any real access to independent music. And, you know, everything I'd heard had been hugely popular, you know, or it was like an old gospel song or cultural song, you know. So we were riding around the van listening to Neutral Milk Hotel and uh, Nico Case and, um, uh 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 the pixies and the posies and um you know sure. pylon and, and uh uh Vic Chestnut and all this stuff that <laughs> is irreplaceable to me yeah. now. Um you know in my work and Oh my Vic Chestnut, life.
0: sure, sure. Yeah, that makes yeah. complete sense. I saw Vic I saw Vic play a few times. Three different times I saw him play. We played um, we played with him, it?
1: so we played we played with Vic. Uh, a few times in Athens. And that's where the Patterson song "He'll Know I Ain't Happy" came from. Uh, we were sound checking. <laughs> Vic, Vic was sound checking. We were playing an outdoor show with Vic in Athens in the summertime, and we were watching him sound check. And uh, the the sound guys, like a house sound guy, at the end of the sound check, he said, "Well, Vic, are you happy?" And you know, Vic's sitting up there, uh, <laughs> of course, cripple, of course. C- crippled, and yeah. you know, he's sitting, <laughs> yeah. he's sitting in a yeah. wheelchair. And, Barely uses hands to play the guitar. He says, "Hell, no, I ain't happy, uh, but it sounds all right." And then he just rolls his wheelchair off the
0: stage. You know, so look I never knew that. That's happy? fantastic, man. Yeah. Uh, that's if people, yeah, if from. people don't know his m- music, they should they should listen to Isadora Duncan, but um, or or whatever else to know who Vic Chesnutt. All right, last two things, and we'll get you out of here. Um, they're related. What did Amanda's okay. success with High Women mean to you? And and for Mercy, do you think, is one of them? Because I never saw someone cheer so much. We all cheer for those that we love, but it does, it felt to me like like Amanda truly getting her due in that way, in that such a huge way, becoming a headlining mm-hmm. act and everything like that. I imagine it, it must yeah. have been great for you.
1: It was. It was really great. You know, I had so much fun just playing guitar and watching her and watching all of them. Um, be themselves, and you know, I, f- I feel like it gave Amanda some avenues uh, where where she could, you know, her type of writing and her type of songs could be appreciated by people who hadn't heard them before, um, and you know, it just it felt really good to be a small part of something that uh, had the right message, and and I don't know, I just I could I couldn't have been happier about it. I wish you know things had gone differently and they could be out playing some shows right now cuz i think that was the plan um but i have this kind of weird hope that everybody's just postponing uh and and that you know whenever things get somewhat normal again they'll still want to hear those songs and they'll still want to hear the high women play them live and and uh you know it it was it was great for us cuz it's like finally she got to be the one that was fussed over, you know, and, and she's always yes, deserved that's, it, yes. but it's, it's always been like, you know, I, I, I'm just, I don't know. Somebody, I heard somebody say at one point there's 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 no feeling quite like standing next to somebody who's signing an autograph. And I always felt like, uh, my wife deserved to be the person that was getting fussed over. Yeah. Um, and, and, I love you know I was always kind of embarrassed by the fact that everybody was making this big deal of the work that I was doing and and I knew how good her work was so it was it was nice for a little while to see you know people make a big deal about uh, how good she is
0: well she's a brilliant person last thing uh when I listen to mm-hmm. reunions there's one song that's really directly about your daughter clearly you know and my daughter's 20 and uh i mean the first time you met my daughter she was probably like 14 or something like that um yeah and and the whole but i feel like the way you talk about your daughter the way you interact with her on social media part of me feels like when i listen to this album that it's almost all for her in a way that like these knowing part of you know she's going to be studying her dad and what her dad was talking about and don't you feel the or do you feel the record is suffused with some of that in, in a way oh, I mean, you, yeah. you just to close the record
1: yeah. yeah and i you know i don't think that there's a better um uh, uh person to sort of have in mind when you're making a piece of art like this like who do i want to leave this behind for you know um it just makes sure a good set of, of 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 rules like what do i want her to know about me um and and me ultimately i i want to be honest with her um so she's not blindsided by you know people or the world later on and and um I think that you know her coming along didn't necessarily change my perspective. my my it didn't change what I thought was right and wrong but it changed my motivation uh to to um speak out about those things and and it 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 made me feel like you know I have to really uh put my money where my mouth is now because there's somebody who's looking to me with this sort of like I notice sometimes when I discipline her um and she's forced so there's not much of that it's very it's very mild, but you know you have to start early um and I don't want her to be spoiled and and uh you know if if I have to take something away from her. You know, she gets upset, of course, like kids do. But then almost immediately after that, she gets really tender and like really loving. And at first I thought it was like a response to being chastised. I thought, you know, well, she's looking for some sort of connection with me because she feels sad or small because of what just happened. But after a while, I started thinking, you know, it's something that she's looking for you know she's she's looking for me to be this and then yes. like my my head sort of exploded because i thought oh my god everything i do is great like to her everything i do is not only okay but it's 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 the standard you know her mother and i are like like yeah. we could get away with murder you know and that awareness of that made me think well then i have a responsibility you know, not yeah. just not just around the house during the day, but you know, you, you you know, you it's 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 never harder to drive the speed limit than when you're in a Ferrari. You know, and it's like that. It's like I have to control myself and actually, you know, constantly recommit myself to doing the right thing because there's somebody in this world that will always love me no matter what. And that is a lot. That's a lot of responsibility that, that you know, weaponizes me in a way that is, is very, very frightening if, if you don't you know, if you don't use it in the correct way. So I, I just I'm motivated to try to be more of myself, I think. To try to be more honest and more open and more um uh you know, admit when I when I don't know something or when I'm confused or when I've done something wrong. Um You know, I just try to be more of that now.
0: That is a perfect answer and a perfect place to end on. Reunions is just, I can't believe you've gone now four for four, man. Uh, um, Mm, Thank you, Brian. Thank you. So, dude, really proud to know you. Thanks. You can find Jason online on Twitter at his name. He's uh, often playing his very special... Uh, guitar on uh, Instagram you can find me at Brian Coppelman. Jason have a good rest of the day congratulations on the launch of the record break a leg man
1: thank you so much Brian thanks and thanks for your time always great to talk to you